Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Worship at Calvary. We're so glad that you are here wherever you are worshiping at, whether you're here in the worship center or shout out to all of you over in the chapel, also all of you at our Minnetonka campus or the many, many people watching online somewhere else in the world. We're so glad that we can join together this Advent season to reflect upon the amazing gift that we're given in Jesus. And we're in the third week of our Advent sermon and small group series called The Ghosts of Christmas Past. And we're talking about some of those things that pop up in our lives that can happen, you know, basically any age, but they're things that can come back to haunt us each and every year, and especially during the holiday season when we're told again and again, you know, you should be happy and you should be joyful and you should just be celebratory. You know, sometimes this is the hardest time of year to find that kind of joy and that kind of happiness. It's those things from our past, those hurts and those wounds that we might carry with us that suddenly come back with more of a vengeance and it can really be a difficult Time. So we're talking about things like the hurts and the offenses that happen to us because of other people. And we talked a, a couple weeks ago about how when we receive God's grace, then we can also turn and share that kind of grace and forgiveness with people who have hurt us in the past. Last week, we talked about shame, which is something that we often carry with us because of the decisions or the actions or the words that we ourselves have done. And it's sometimes that shame that can really hold us back from being the people that God wants us to be. Well, you know, the reality is God never intended for us to continue to be haunted by our past. In fact, because of Jesus, he wants to bring us healing and wholeness and new life today. And so as we continue this series today, I want to talk with you about labels, Labels are things that maybe others have spoken to us or over us, but they're also things that sometimes we speak to ourselves. And it's these words that we carry with us that can often negatively impact our lives. So as we kick off today, I want you to just think about this question. If you were to explain who you are in three words to someone else, what would those words be? Three words that would describe, that would communicate who you are to someone else. I think there are a variety of categories that we might go to if we were to do this. You know, maybe first you would describe your appearance to someone. You know, you're short or you're tall or you, you know, maybe your hair color or your eye color. But maybe others, you'd go to your personality Say, you know, I'm shy or I'm outgoing, I'm more of a loner or I'm confident or I'm reserved or however else you might describe your personality to someone else. Maybe it's your life stage. You'd say, you know, well, I'm a parent or I'm a grandparent, I'm a husband or I'm a wife, I'm a mother or father, I'm single, married or divorced. Maybe it's your hobby. There's something that you're just really passionate about. Maybe it's a sports team. Maybe it's a particular sport that you play. Maybe you're an avid outdoorsman. Maybe you're an avid indoorsman. Maybe you're a scrapbooker or a fisher or a hunter. Or maybe it's something on a more personal level. Just you feel successful. Or maybe you don't feel successful. Maybe you would describe yourself as a good person or maybe less than a good person. Maybe you're trustworthy. 
They're maybe not so trustworthy. There's so many different categories that we might go to to try to find these words that could describe who we are. Now, like it or not, as we go through life, we are often described by labels. We do it to ourselves, but we also do it to others. Labels are just simply words that describe or categorize or sum up who we are and what we're about. But the thing is, the more we hear something again and again, over and over, the more we tend to believe it and we tend to internalize it. And so the things that are spoken over us, especially repeatedly, stick with us. And it's also those things that are spoken over us at especially formative ages that also often stick with us throughout our life. Now, when our son Soren was little, one of the things he loved to do is to wear stickers and name tags. Wherever he went, he tried to accumulate as many stickers and as many name tags as he could. And I remember one of the very first times we put him in the nursery during a church service at my first church that I served out of seminary. So he must have been like two years old. And we brought him to the nursery and all the kids got checked in and they got a little name tag on their back, right? So they couldn't reach it. And so he went in, he was all excited. There was all these great toys and kids to play with. After the service, we came to check him out of the nursery and he came out with this huge smile on his face. And then we saw why. He had 12 other kids' name tags on his shirt. And it was like the greatest day ever. But I think that's kind of a picture of many of us as we go through our life because we accumulate labels. And sometimes these labels are positive things but oftentimes they're also different negative things. And it can really impact our self-worth and our direction in life and what we feel like our potential is. Now, there was another part of Soren's passion for stickers and name tags, and that is sometimes we forgot to check his shirt before doing the laundry. And if you've ever done laundry of a shirt or something with a sticker on it, you know it becomes almost impossible to remove after it's been through the wash. Now, I had people after the last service come up and say, well, we've got the way to do it. Like, you put it in the freezer or something, and I don't know, you can look that up online. But, you know, in much the same way, I think we often go through life, and some of those negative labels especially, they can feel like they're permanently affixed to us. Now, the difficult thing is that many of us struggle in the present because of the labels that are given to us in the past. Often the most painful words that are spoken about us or over us, the labels that are given to us, are just as clear and vivid today as when they were first spoken maybe 5, 10, 25, or even 50 years ago. Maybe it was something that a parent said, or a classmate, or a friend, or even a stranger. And you can go back and you can picture that moment of when that word was spoken and it still comes back to haunt you today. You know, when we hear something spoken over us on the outside, the most damaging thing is when we start to believe it on the inside. You know, suddenly we start to agree with those labels. We say, you know, maybe I am unworthy. Maybe I am unlovable. Maybe I am inadequate or a disappointment. Maybe I am not worthy of love. 
And so the longer we carry a label, the less it describes our past and the more it determines our future. Now, research has shown that if a child is labeled as a slow learner, that almost instantaneously they start to show that in their life. Their performance at school starts to decrease. And in much the same way, if a child is labeled as advanced or gifted, they almost instantaneously start to show signs of their performance increasing at school. Those labels can be so powerful. When someone's labeled as a failure, they often become hesitant to try new things. When someone's labeled as weak, they often let others walk all over them. When someone's labeled as unlovable, they often try to find love in unhealthy and unhelpful places. Now, I think it's also important to acknowledge for a moment that sometimes there can be some truth in our labels. You know, maybe the truth is we're not the most motivated at all times. Maybe the truth is we're not the hardest of workers. Maybe we do have a short fuse. But the hope is what's true about you now doesn't have to be true about you later. We have the potential for growth to have a new start, to do new things in our life. But as we think about the power of labels in our lives and how they often can come back to haunt us, I want to look at, look at a story with you from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, you can turn there to Luke chapter 7, We're going to start with verse 36. And it's one of the many stories that's told about Jesus eating a meal with others. So this is what it says. One of the Pharisees asked asked him to eat with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, 
for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So again, Jesus is eating at the home of a Pharisee, a religious leader. But because this is a Pharisee's home, we're pretty confident this is not a close friend of Jesus's. The Pharisees were not fans of him or his ministry. And so this is one of those meals that perhaps you've been at before where there are a lot of awkward silences and pauses. Have you ever been at one of those meals before? Everybody is watching everyone else. They're studying body language. They're dissecting the few words that are spoken. There's no trust. There's lots of judgment. There's lots of suspicion all around the room. But we're also told there's an invisible guest at the meal. No one seems to notice that she's snuck into the house. And this isn't a new experience for her because of her station in life. She is treated as absolutely worthless and insignificant no matter where she goes. Now look at verse 37 where it says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointments. Now, as Luke is telling this story, notice what he does. He is purposefully highlighting the label that this woman is stuck with. She's not a woman of the city who's a hockey mom or who owns a small business or who's a member of the PTA. No, she's a a woman of the city who was a sinner. That was her identity. That is how she was known by everyone else. That was her primary identity in the community. When people saw her, they would say, there goes that sinner. Now, in this story, we're not even sure what her sin was, but scholars have speculated it was adultery or prostitution or another scandalous type of behavior. And so this woman remained ignored and invisible until she reached out to touch Jesus because that in and of itself was a scandalous action. It was breaking all sorts of societal norms And the woman's worst fears come to fruition as she kneels at Jesus' feet because all the eyes of the men in the room look at her with hostility and disgust. They look at her in the most inhumane way. Now, why in the world would she intentionally put herself in this awful position to open herself up to more anger and hatred and hostility from the people around her, the people who made her life miserable each and every day, people who didn't see her as a human being, but instead as just a label. I mean, what could be worth putting yourself through that kind of judgment and that kind of hostility? Well, it was encountering the Messiah in person. That's what made it worth it because he and only he was able to change everything. 
You see, Jesus in his grace and his mercy was able to give this woman a new identity, a new identity not affected by sin and shame and guilt any longer. And his grace and his mercy came as a gift. It was not a reward and it wasn't a payment. It was unearned and undeserved and it was unexpected and it was overwhelming. But it brought her such amazing relief and freedom. And so it totally makes sense that her natural reaction would be to kneel at his feet, to wash his feet with her tears and her hair, to give him this costly gift of anointing his feet with oil. Now, I think it's hard for us to process what's going on in this story because we live in a world, in a culture, that is all about buying and selling and earning You know, if I give you money, then I get a product or a service in return. If I give you my time and my energy, then I should be compensated with pay. If I perform a sport or a skill exceptionally well, then I should be rewarded. But you know, that's not at all how God's economy works. God's economy is pure gift. Now, it's a very, very, very costly gift, but it costs us nothing at all. See, we have no currency that can buy what God is willing to give, and we have no ability or time or energy that can come close to equaling the value of what he offers to us. And so in the story, Luke makes it so, so clear that the woman who kneels at Jesus' feet did nothing to earn or even ask for his grace and his mercy. Doesn't even tell us how she goes about processing this incredible gift, short of an outward outpouring of love and gratitude. All she knows is that she suddenly realizes she's forgiven and she's no longer a label. Look at verses 48 through 50. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And so then he turns to the woman and he says these amazing words. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not that you got your life together, not that you went and did a bunch of penance, Not that you somehow earned it or deserved it. No, Jesus freely gives her this amazing gift of grace. All the words that had been spoken about her and over her for years were erased and removed. And she was given a new identity with dignity and love and value. You can just feel and imagine the incredible relief that she would have experienced as it overflowed in love and gratitude towards Jesus. Now, we see the extent of her new freedom in verse 44. It says, Jesus turned toward the woman, and then he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Remember, up until now, she was just a label. She was just a sinner. 
But Jesus doesn't say to Simon, do you see this sinner? Or do you see this disappointment? Or do you see this? No, he says, do you see this person? Do you see her? All of the harmful and damaging labels are gone. And she has been freed from her sin and shame and fear by Jesus' free gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now, I think we see some important truths in this story that also apply to us today. Number one, Jesus heals the source, not just the symptoms. You see, the solution that this woman needed was not a better label. No, Jesus goes beyond labels. And with surgical precision, he deals with the source of her brokenness. He gives forgiveness for sin. You see, he's paid our debt in full on the cross. And then he offers us this incredible gift of grace. You see, Jesus goes so far as to give us a new identity, not just a new label. Now, perhaps some of you have experienced the uncomfortableness of walking into a church, perhaps for the first time, or maybe it's for the thousandth time. But perhaps you've, you've walked through the doors of a church and you've been thinking to yourself, what if everybody finds out who I really am? What if everybody finally figures out my deepest, darkest secret? I mean, what if they really find out about how broken my marriage is or the addiction that I'm still struggling with or the disappointment that I've been to so many? Or what if they figure out that I'm putting on a fake facade I'm just putting on a happy face for an hour on Sunday mornings. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, no matter what labels you carry, Jesus looks upon you with compassion and with love. And he calls you by name, not by your label. And he reminds you of what really, really matters. See, the truth is, church, A label may describe you, but your identity in Christ is what defines you. You might have a label that hurts so bad, you'd rather not think about it. Maybe a label that you've carried for decades. That label might describe a little portion of your life, but your identity in Jesus is what truly defines you. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 3, starting in verse 28. He says, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Jesus does away with all of our labels and our divisions, our hierarchies, and our tribalism. And he simply says, you are all forgiven children of God through faith in Jesus. But not only that, we belong to God and we are his heirs. Now think about what that means. Not anyone is an heir. 
right? Only full members of a family become heirs to what a family has. And so this is telling us no matter what label we have carried, no matter what our story is, no matter what secrets are in our past, we're not second-class citizens in his kingdom. We're heirs to all that is his. It's a big deal because it shows the depth of, and the power of his love and his grace for us. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a woman named Rahab, and her story is told in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. Now, Rahab had three strikes against her for this time in history. She was a Gentile, she was a woman, and she was a prostitute. And yet she played a key role in the Israelites claiming the promised land. She helped to hide a scout team that was trying to figure out the lay of the city. She also had a heart that was open to who God was, and she was willing to trust in him, and it made all the difference. Now, Rahab is mentioned eight times throughout the Bible. Six of those times, it is also attached to her name that she was a prostitute. Her label is included. But here's the thing. Rahab also played a key role in the Christmas story because she is in the family tree of Jesus himself. She is actually one of Jesus's many great grandmothers. So you might wonder, well, why didn't some editor go back and remove the label from Rahab's name those six times? Like, why couldn't she be Rahab the redeemed or Rahab the forgiven? Well, it's not that Rahab's past was too big to be forgiven. It's not. It's that her new identity in God is too big for anyone to deny. It completely overshadows all of the labels. Anytime you talk about Rahab from that time on, you have to talk about the goodness and the grace of God. You see, the truth is, church, God in his grace and his mercy is able to write a new chapter in your story just like he did for Rahab, no matter what. And there's this good news. What the devil meant for evil, God can and he will use for good. God can use your past to change somebody else's future. Your story can affect the direction of another person's life. Your story, your testimony can give hope and can give peace and can give motivation and can bring the spotlight back on Jesus. You see, with your identity firmly in Christ, none of your old labels apply any longer. And so you're able to say something like this, I used to be called, whatever your label is, but now because of Jesus, because of what he has done, because of my identity in him, now I am called this. And what I want to encourage you to do is you think about those labels that have stuck with you throughout your life. Let God fill in the blank. All right, don't let any other person or experience don't let anything else of this world fill in the blank. 
Let God fill in the blank. Now, you might say, well, how in the world do I do that? Well, I want you to remind yourself what God says in Scripture. One of the most powerful things you can do is to read his promises and what he has to say about you in his word. And so maybe you are saying, you know, I used to be called unlovable, but now I am forever and deeply loved. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. You may say, but but what about that? No, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe you say, I used to be called rejected. But you know what God says? He says, you are his. Isaiah 43.1 says, do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you. You are mine. Maybe you'd say, I used to be called lonely or alone. But God would say, I am with you every step of the way. Joshua 1.9, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So church, remember, you are not what the voice in your head says you are. You are who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says you are. So let him fill in the blank. Now, the reality is this is an ongoing process for each one of us because we continue to struggle with brokenness, negative emotions, things from our past. And so every day, it's a process of remembering and claiming our new identity in Jesus. And we need help doing this. It's why it's so important that we spend time in the Word But it's also why we think it's so important that you get involved in what we call our growth track here at Calvary. It's key parts of being followers of Jesus. One part of our growth track is worship. You know, coming to worship, worshiping together is one of the ways that we can be reminded again and again of who God says we are. And we can remind each other of those promises. Another part of our growth track is getting involved in a small group. Again, it's so important to have people that we do life with, people who can encourage us and build us up and point us to who God says we are. And then the third part of our growth track is to serve others. What a great way to get outside of ourselves and to live into our purpose and our identity that God has given us, to find ways to go and serve And meanwhile, encountering God and his presence during. Remember when we kicked off this morning, I asked you to pick out three words that describe yourself. Well, I think there are three all important and powerful words that define each one of us through Jesus. Those three words are child of God. Church, your labels may describe the past, but your identity in Christ defines your future. Let's pray. Gracious God, 
We give you thanks that your desire for us is that we would walk in freedom and wholeness with you. You know all too well all of the labels that we have been stuck with, all of those negative words that have been spoken over us or about us or that we've just spoken to ourselves. God, today, make it so clear who you say we are. God, help us to walk in the identity that you give us through Jesus. Help us to receive your free gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, we're so thankful that you give us this freely. We don't have to somehow convince you or we don't have to somehow earn it or deserve it. And so help us to receive it and help it to change our life. Help it to affect the words we speak to others. God, help us to speak life and love and peace and joy to those around us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And so God, we're thankful that through your power, through your creativity, and through your grace, that you are able to once and for all deal with these ghosts that haunt us from the past. And so God, we're so grateful that we can walk in your freedom and your healing today. And so we lift this up to you in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together, amen.